Perhaps you've had the experience of talking to a friend about Old South Church or sharing with a relative a bit about what we've been up to. Or maybe you have foolishly ventured into the social media world of TikTok and shared a bit about our common values. And when you do, when you share our beliefs, receive that all too common question, just what kind of Christian are you? I suppose some of you have said, well, we are liberal Christians, progressive Christians, open-minded Christians. Or maybe you went down the twisted and theological path, Tillichian, Augustinian, Calvinist. Or maybe, just maybe, you have defined us by what we are not. Well, we aren't those Christians or that kind of Christian. Well, next time, if you are lost for words and don't know how to properly define us, might I suggest you respond, we are Magnificat Christians. The Magnificat, Mary's song. In its Latin translation, Magnificat is the first word of a longer phrase, Magnificat anima mea dominum. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's words are the longest set spoken by a woman in the entire New Testament. They have been sung as a regular part of Christian worship for 1,500 years. Her song has inspired the likes of Vivaldi, Bach, Vaughan Williams. Mary's song flows unpremeditated from her heart. Her words are bold, urgent, and a spontaneous response upon being pronounced as blessed by her cousin Elizabeth. But that's just the immediate setting in which we find Mary's song. The Gospel of Luke expects us to know quite a bit about the backdrop of the Christian story. After a brief introduction, Luke's first line to reveal all, in the days of King Herod of Judea, which is to say, in the days of King Herod, in the days when innocents were being killed and whole peoples enslaved. In those days of King Herod, a census was planned to count the able-bodied for another war and for more labor, and to increase taxes on the poor to fatten the rich. In the days of King Herod, when 1% owned 95% of the region's wealth, in the days of King Herod, the Roman authorities and the religious authorities scratched each other's backs while breaking the backs of the devout. In the days of King Herod, hunger was common, shelter was scarce, and people lived in fear. It was in those days of King Herod, Mary had within her very womb the promise that God is going to turn it all upside down and inside out. Mary sings, promising that God will bring about a new order of things in the world, showing favor to the uncredentialed and ignored, filling those who starve for justice and food. 
Mary articulates an end to economic structures that are exploitative and unjust. Her voice soars as she sings of a time when all will enjoy the good things given by God as promised by God in the beginning. Mary brazenly sings of the doomed status quo and of the great reversal God has begun through the birth of that one child. Mary sings of God's revolution. And if it is why Mary sang, it is also why others have frequently tried to stop her song. When reformer Martin Luther translated the Bible into the language of the people, he left the Magnificat in Latin, unreadable by the masses, because his benefactors, the German princes, took a dim view of the mighty being brought down from their thrones. Similarly, during the British rule of India, the Magnificat was prohibited from being sung in church. In the 1980s, Guatemala's government thought Mary's words about God's special concern for the poor was too dangerous and revolutionary, so they banned public readings of the Magnificat. And after the mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, whose children all disappeared during the Dirty War, wrote portions of this scripture on posters throughout the Capitol Plaza, the military junta of Argentina outlawed any public display of Mary's song. Frequently throughout history, people on the margins have identified with Mary's words and have been inspired to believe that God can actually bring liberation to their plight. And that's been worrisome to those in power. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor and anti-Nazi dissident, recognized the revolutionary nature of Mary's song. At Christmas, before being executed by the Nazis, Bonhoeffer preached, The Song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. The Magnificat is the charter, the document, the constitution of God's revolution, it carefully and urgently lays out the economic, political, and moral values of God's reign and declares its hope. And its words, Mary's words, are dangerous, risky, maybe even foolish, and they are not for the faint of heart. Because you see, to be a Magnificat Christian is to be on the side of those without power, even sometimes at the expense of our own privilege. To be a Magnificat Christian is to look at the ways of the world and measure them against the standards of God.
then turn them upside down until they look like God's justice and mercy, biblical beauty and compassion. To be a Magnificat Christian is to dissolve our primary allegiances to economic systems, nation-states, and leaders, and pledge our first loyalty to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be a Magnificat Christian is to have more hope than fear, more joy than anger. It is to look at the world, look at what God has already done, and proclaim not only is our God great, but our God is good. We Magnificat Christians join with Mary in proclaiming this joyful revolution of God's great reversal and hold fast to the foolish and daring hope that our God indeed has the power, the glory, and the might to do it. So the next time you are asked, just what kind of Christian are you? Proudly, boldly, unabashedly say, a Magnificat Christian. Amen.